Good day to your kingdom family. This is Johan Potheter with the third installment of our study through the Gospel of John during this lockdown as we are looking up. Looking up during the lockdown and I'm going to be using the Amplified Bible today. So if you want to get your Amplified Bible, you can follow along with me. Um, and the reason I'm also using this is because there's a couple of scriptures I want to expand on a bit. Um, and we're going to read from verse 1. Now there was a certain man among the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler, a leader, an authority among the Jews, who came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know and are certain that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs, these wonder works, these miracles, and produce the proofs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, I assure you most solemnly I tell you that unless a person is born again anew from above, he cannot ever see, know, and be acquainted with and experience the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter his mother's womb again and be born? Jesus answered, and I, he said, I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, unless a man is born of water and even the Spirit, he cannot ever enter the kingdom of God. What is born of or from the flesh is flesh, of the physical is physical, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not, do not be surprised or astonished at my telling you, you must all be born anew from above. A couple of things I want to lift out here. The name Nicodemus, uh, it's, it's actually a Greek name, and it's really pronounced in the Greek more accurately, Nicodemus. It is the leader, that Nico is leader, and Demos is people, or then common people. He was the leader of the common people. It's also, uh, it's also uh, said that Nicodemus was a modern politician as well, a celebrity preacher and, and even a wealthy businessman. And he, he was only one of the 70 members of the Sanhedrin. He came to Jesus at night. There's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, we believe he didn't want to be seen by others. Secondly, it was away from the crowds. And thirdly, and I'm going to show you through the text that I do believe that he was even sent by the rest because Nicodemus was more the frontline person. Because where Jesus, uh, where Jesus uh, um, is, is, in, in, is in discussion with him in verse 2, it says, Who came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know and are certain that you have come from God as a teacher. We. He didn't say, I know. He said, we know. So obviously he was speaking for some others as well. Maybe the whole rest of the Sanhedrin. We're not sure. But down in verse 7 as well, it says, Marvel not, do not be surprised, astonished at my telling you, you must all be born anew from above. That's what it says in the Amplified. Jesus here already knew that Nicodemus didn't come out of his own. It wasn't just because he was curious. He was actually representing many of these other Pharisees. What I also want to bring our attention to this morning is Nicodemus says to him, we know that you are a teacher sent from God. For no one can do these signs, these wonder works, these miracles, and produce the proofs that you do unless God is with him. Now, hold on a minute. You remember yesterday when we spoke about the miracle of the turning the water into wine at Cana, in Cana of Galilee. That was only one miracle. That was only one wonder work that Jesus did. So here he says, and he uses it in the plural, he says, no one can do these miracles or works of wonder that you are doing unless God is with him. So there must have been other works, other miracles that Jesus did from chapter 2 into chapter 3 that Nicodemus was aware of that we are not told of in the scripture. We're not going to speculate what they were. We don't know. 
But the Bible does say, in, if, if we, um, you see, when we get to the end of the Gospel of John, where it talks about that if everything Jesus had done and performed in the earth, if it was all written, John says, I suppose not even all the books in the world could contain it. So they saw other miracles as well that Jesus did. So this religious man, this Pharisee now comes to Jesus and he's inquiring of where this authority is coming from um, because of him doing these things. And they have, they have kind of a notion that he must be from God because of the fact that these signs have not been seen before. What I like about this as well is the way that Jesus answers him. Jesus doesn't say after he told him that, um, that he must be from God. Jesus didn't acknowledge and say, well, thank you very much, guys, for, for actually recognizing that and affirming the fact that I am from God. Now, are you guys going to believe now? Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't even pay attention to what he was saying. Because if you see the way that Jesus answers in, in verse 3, I assure you most solemnly, I tell you, that unless a person is born again, anew from above, he cannot ever see, know, or be acquainted with and experience the kingdom of God. Yeah, I want to use just a modern term. I think Nicodemus was gobsmacked at this point because Jesus didn't receive the accolade that he was giving him at, at that time. Jesus immediately went to the crux of the matter and he's speaking to a religious leader that all of you must be born again. And of course, then Nicodemus asks all the questions. How can that be? Can a man go a second time into his mother's womb? I think if his mother was standing around, she would have run miles because obviously that is not what Jesus was talking about. And I don't want to go into uh, all of the verses, but then after that, there's this um, understanding that Nicodemus is trying to find in what Jesus said of how can this be? What, what is this all about? And then Jesus actually says to him, come on, Nicodemus, if, if you are the teacher in Israel, um, how can you not know these things? You see, you can be very religious and still miss big time the spiritual sayings and the spiritual revelations of Jesus. Now, then Jesus goes um, on to something that he refers to from the Old Testament in verse 14. He says, and just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert on a pole, so must, so must, and so is it, so is it necessary that the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross in order that everyone who believes in him, who cleaves to him, trusts him, and relies on him, may not perish, but have eternal life and actually live forever. Why did Jesus bring this in at this particular point in time? Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert on a pole, so must and so is it necessary for the Son of Man to be lifted up on the cross. Here he talks about his crucifixion. Here he talks about something that Nicodemus can relate to because it's from the Lord, it's from the Old Testament. And when he mentions this, Nicodemus's mind must have gone back to that time where the serpents were striking the, the children of Israel in the desert. And many, 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 many of them died from that. And then they were told, Moses was told to, to make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And whoever looked at this bronze serpent would be healed. And maybe a lot of you have asked the question, why a snake? Why put a snake on a pole and look at the snake and be healed? And I'm sure maybe you are wondering about it now. And I would like to give you this answer. The Bible says to us that everyone that is lifted up on a pole is cursed. And you can go all the way back to Numbers 21 verse 9 and you can go look at that. And I believe it's in Deuteronomy as well. 
It says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So in Galatians chapter 3 verse 13, it says that Jesus became a curse for us. So whatever was killing them in the desert, God said to Moses, take the serpent and put it on a pole. So whatever was killing them now became cursed by God. So what they looked at was a serpent, a bronze serpent on the pole that was cursed by God. So the very thing that was killing them was cursed by God and they were all healed. So here is the, look at the analogy here now. Jesus was going to hang on the cross and he became a curse for us, the Bible says again, Galatians 3.13, so that we can be free. So Nicodemus now um, had, I do believe, maybe a better understanding of when Jesus said in 15, in order that everyone who believes in him, who cleaves to him, trusts him and relies on him may not perish, but have eternal life, actually live forever. So as they looked up at the serpent, they will now look up at Jesus as we looked up at Jesus on that cross, who is the one that paid for our redemption. Now, of course, in verse 16, it is the verse in John chapter 3. For God so loved, so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten and unique son, so that whoever believes and trusts in and clings to and relies on him shall not perish, come to destruction and be lost, but have eternal, everlasting life. For God so greatly loved the world. You know, if you take that little word so out, that the entire verse loses its power. Imagine if I just said this morning, for God loved the world that he gave his only son. No, no. That word so brings in the emphasis. He so loved the world. He so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I want to encourage you with this. I speak to so many Christians. I speak to so many students who, when they do something wrong, when they sin, when they fall, when they mess up, they, they, they like have the sense of condemnation and judgment over them. I want to encourage, if, if you are there today, I want to encourage you with this. God can never judge you of something that is redeemed you from. Ah, oh, I need to say that again. God can never judge you for something that is redeemed you from. Because he redeemed you, you are free from judgment. And I'm going to talk more about that as we work through the Gospel of John. I don't want to give too much of it away today. But I want to say this to you. You are free from the judgment of God. If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've looked up to that cross and you have received him as Lord and Master and Savior of your life, you are free from condemnation. You are free from judgment. Verse 18, he who believes in him, who clings to and trusts in and relies on him, is not judged. There it is. He who trusts in him never comes up for judgment. For him there is no rejection, no condemnation. He, inc he incurs no damnation. But he who does not believe, cleave to rely on and trust in him, is judged already. He has already been convicted and he has already received his sentence because he has not believed in and trusted in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He is condemned for refusing to let his trust rest in Christ's name. As we go further into this chapter, we now see that there's a situation with John and his disciples. The disciples of John come to him and say, listen, and, and I basically want to say it the way that the text says it, this man. Now, in our modern terminology, we'll say 
um, this guy that uh, that you uh, kind of identified with um, when you said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that guy or that man, do you know that he's, he's also baptizing and, you know, this shouldn't be. What they were actually saying to him is, John, listen, we are supposed to be doing what we are doing. This is the team of ministry. We are the ones who are anointed and appointed by God to do this. How can he be doing the same thing? Now, I want to say this. How many of their descendants are not alive today? People who are jealous of other people's ministries. People who are jealous and are pointing fingers at the way others are doing things. Where they feel that they have the mandate on that or they have the handle on it or they are the only ones who have been anointed and appointed by God to do that. And John, I love his answers here. And I'm not going to read all the verses. You can go read through it yourself. You'll see that John says, hold on a minute. You know, we need to honor and respect that because he is the one who was sent from heaven. He's the one that's sent from God. John even goes as far as to say in verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. He must grow more prominent. I must grow less so. I want to say to you, when people look at you, do they see much of you or do they see much of Jesus? And if there's much of you, they won't see much of Jesus. If there's much of, much of Jesus, they won't see too much of you. There's a saying that I have that I use in the Power of Transformation course as well, where I say to people, any person who is wrapped up in himself makes a very small package. Remember, what God has given you is a gift. Ministry that God has uh, trusted you with is a gift. It's not yours. You need to operate in that and flow in it. In verse 31, John says, He who comes from above is far above all others. He who comes from the earth belongs to the earth and talks the language of the earth. His words are from an earthly standpoint. But he who comes from heaven is far above all others, far superior to all others in prominence and in excellence. And that is our Jesus. I get, I get excited when I read this because he's so far above. He is so so far way beyond he is the other one he is god he is god in the flesh he is the god who came to redeem us i honor and respect him today just like you do verse 32 it is to what he has actually seen and heard that he bears testimony and yet no one accepts his testimony no one receives his evidence as true you know this do you know that it, it just gets to my heart where i think these people had the purest word of God walking among them. Every single word that Jesus spoke was a pure word from heaven. And they did not receive him. They did not hear it. Because man was so linked to his own paradigm and opinion. So in verse 34, For since he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, proclaims God's own message, God does not give him his spirit sparingly or by measure, but boundless is the, is the gift of God that he makes in his spirit. And I want to read that again. But boundless is the gift God makes of his spirit. The spirit without measure was on Jesus. And the last verse in verse 36. And he who believes in and has faith in and clings to and relies on the Son, as now he possesses eternal life. But whoever disobeys is unbelieving towards and refuses to trust in and disregards and is not subject to the Son will never see or experience life. But instead the wrath of God abides on him. 
God's displeasure remains on him. His indignation hangs over him continually. So here it is. People are not going to go to hell because they are sinners. People are going to go to hell because they rejected the free gift of heaven, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So I want to ask you where you are today, where you are seated there. Have you perhaps grown cold and indifferent in your heart towards the things of God? Have, have you maybe come to a place where you say, well, with all of this happening around us, how can there be a loving God? I want to encourage you today and say, this God that I'm talking about today and His Son, Jesus Christ, and His Holy Spirit will come and take up residence on the inside of you. If you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, I want to pray that today you make that decision and say, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and, and I ask that you just come in and take over. And as you come in as my Lord and Savior, I will follow you. I will deny myself. I will take up my cross and I will follow you. And if you as a Christian have listened to this message, are you cold in your heart? Are you... Are you at a place where you just need to recommit your life perhaps to Christ and just say, Lord, I'm coming back. Don't run from God, run to Him this morning. And just come to the place again where when you open your mouth, you know that He is closer to you than your breath. And when you open your mouth and you say, Father, and you say, Jesus or Holy Spirit, that He hears every single prayer that you pray. He hears every single word that comes out of your mouth and that He's closer to you than your, than your very breath. I want to encourage you today with this message. Um, may you be blessed by it. And um, I'm going to look forward to tomorrow because in chapter 4, we are going to experience a lot more truths from the Gospel of John. God bless you.